0: This week and next, as we finish up 1 John, we have short passages before us. Today we read four verses in chapter 5, beginning at verse 14. Here it is. And this is the boldness we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have obtained the requests made of him. If you see your brother or sister committing what is not a mortal sin, you will ask, and God will give life to such a one, to those whose sin is not mortal. There is sin that is mortal. I do not say you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that is not mortal. (laughs) Lord, give us some wisdom today. (laughs) God, we ask that you would hear our hearts today. I pray for all those listening and ask for you to hear what it is, for us to hear what it is that you have to say through these few words. Only you are great, so we humbly submit uh, your wisdom uh, for our lives. Amen. Amen. One of the quotes in the bulletin today comes from Corrie Ten Boom, the woman from the Netherlands who became part of the Dutch resistance during World War II against the Nazis. Along with her family, they saved over 800 Jewish lives before they themselves were arrested. She and her sister were brought to a concentration camp. Both her sister and father died while imprisoned. Corey was released and went back to ministering to those who needed help, including those who had cooperated with the Germans during the war. Her quote is a good word picture for us today. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? This is an excellent question. For it gets to motivation about why it is we talk to God. As believers who follow Jesus, we say we're committed to knowing the direction he has for us in our lives. But our prayer life is one of the biggest indicators of how committed we are to listening and discerning and experiencing God's will for us. It's true that prayer doesn't have to be either or. However, because prayer is foundational to our spiritual lives, that if we're not doing it, then the spare tire really is the best description. Is prayer something that we only use when we get stopped and can't go any further? Something we go and grab, hoping that it's there and slap it on our vehicle until we can get back to our regular lives. A few weeks ago, when I was in Texas, our Superintendent Charles Latchitson, one of uh, my favorite speakers, gave an inspired devotional where he used a car as an analogy of our lives in Christ. He put chairs on the stage to act like it was his minivan, and he talked about all of the chaos that was going on in the back seat with all of the people that were in his van and he's trying to drive and get somewhere and he reminded us how Jesus isn't just sitting in the passenger seat as a mere observer while we're in control that Jesus is actually the GPS that resonates actually with our quote about prayer as the steering wheel because the GPS knows our exact location at all times And we acknowledge that we don't even have to have a navigational system in our car at all. And if we do, we don't have to turn it on. We can ignore it, even if we do turn it on, going where we wanna go. We can have competing GPSs going on at the same time, which is confusing and potentially dangerous, where I learned one time in Washington. And when we get back to Boom's analogy, we understand how prayer then is a conversation where our hands are on the wheel and God is telling us where to go. The question we ask ourselves is, does prayer determine the direction of our lives? Or is it something that we only turn to when we are broken down and stranded by the side of the road? At first, I had a difficult time understanding John's words here, because it's an odd passage. And then the Lord showed me, calling this is about prayer. And the bridge is verse 13, which we looked at last week, that says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Now, those are words of assurance. Those are words of hope that take us directly to this brief passage where we are taught about what it means to pray. So, If prayers are steering wheel, John gives us two ideas to think about here. We have boldness when we talk to Jesus. That's one idea. And the second idea is that we should be praying for our brothers and sisters who are in sin. Now, to be clear, this is a baffling passage with some strange ideas that the best minds haven't been able to figure out. And we're not going to figure it all out today. So our track is going to be to focus on prayer. We're going to talk about some of the difficulties, but focus on our life in Christ. So first, John says that we have boldness when we talk to Jesus. Originally, the word for boldness here meant freedom of speech. God, as a completely free entity, creates us in freedom to choose how we live. We can choose to pray, or we can choose to live by our own sets of rules. We can focus on our own understanding or God's. Now the idea of boldness is found throughout scripture. Another quote on the front of your, Bible, on the front of your bulletin is from Hebrews. Where the writer encourages us to draw near to the throne of grace with confidence. So we can find mercy and grace in time of need. We also find in the teachings of Jesus and various other writers that we should be persistent, that we should be comfortable approaching God in prayer. So I was thinking about this passage and it struck me. One of the best reasons I can think of of why I would go with boldness is because I trust the one that I'm talking to. When we trust people, we go to them. We're vulnerable to them. We reach out to them and say, can you listen to these things that are on my heart and mind? Things that we might be embarrassed to say to other people. So in order to pray in sure faith, we need to believe that God is not only there, but to trust him with what is on our hearts and minds. So the boldness, John says, comes with the fact that God hears us. God hears us. God listens He's ready and available whenever we stop what we're doing to go to talk to him. We don't have to knock down a door or wait for him to notice or care. Now, verse 15 is an interesting one. We know that since God hears the prayers we ask according to his will, that we have already obtained the request that we have made. Again, I believe this is tied into boldness. But I want to argue that boldness isn't about what we ask. I think that's a misreading. Part of the confidence we have, of course, is that God can do anything. Jesus has conquered death. Nothing is too hard for God. But as I read this, I feel like the confidence comes from the relationship that we have from the Lord. Because God made us, we know we are heard. Because we have relationship with God, we pray according to what we know is true about his character. We ask humbly, seeking his will and not ours. Because God hears us, we have already gotten what we need, regardless of whether we have received the answer that we want or not. Because prayer isn't just getting what we hope for. It's about engaging in our walk with God. And that's what I think makes prayer hard work. Because it isn't just that we take time out of our lives to do it. It's challenging because we have a living, active God who wants us to listen and not just talk. We have a God who asks us to wait sometimes. And while we wait to not just obsess about the outcome that we want, that we think is best, while we wait to not just try and convince him to give us what we think is best. We have a God who hopes to engage with him every day in praise and thanks and to tell him what is on our hearts and minds. Another quote from Corey ten Boom says this, don't pray just when you feel like it. Have an appointment with the Lord every day and keep it. What wings are to a bird and sails are to a ship, so is prayer to the soul. Now there's a fair amount of mystery in how prayer works. There are lots of different kinds of prayers. We can pray the scriptures, we can go on prayer walks, We might pray over our neighborhoods. We can use prayers that are written or say our own. There are guided prayers and breath prayers and praying in connection with fasting. The point of all the praying isn't just that there are different ways to talk to God. The different prayers are meant to lead us to the same outcome, which is our souls being connected to the one who made us. Jesus leads us to understand the depth of the spirit when we take time and we really listen and ask with groanings too deep for words, Lord, who are you? What are you doing? How can I be more like you? In those moments, we are given invaluable experiences of seeing the glory of God and hearing his voice. So I want you just to stop and just take a moment with God. He is here. He knows you. What is it that you have to say to him or you, you feel he is saying to you? John is assuring us that we have boldness as we seek God. So let us not make an idol of anything it is that we want in prayer. God's role in our life is not to simply be our emergency backup. His hope is to talk to us so that we would spend time with him about everything that's going on and the journey that we're on in life. Secondly, in verse 16, John addresses the issue of praying for those in our lives who are in sin. He differentiates the sins that are mortal and the ones that are not. It seems maybe his audience would have understood what he is talking about, but we don't really. It's kind of unclear. So let's begin with this. Jewish law distinguished between two types of sin. The first is the sin that a person unwittingly commits, it wasn't deliberate. It was done in the moment. We get asked a question and we lie for no good reason. We snap at somebody or end up sharing a private tidbit about one of our friends' lives that they would not want out there. They can be more serious. We make a mistake where someone gets injured physically or we forget to do something and we cost something a lot of money. But the second kind of sin comes from a proud and maybe degenerate heart. This is something done on purpose, something that is thought out. A person who means to take another person's life, who wants to ruin someone on purpose or steal all that they have without caring. Now, for the first kind of accidental sin, there were were sacrifices. There were temple sacrifices, but not for the others. For for those who were initially um, intentionally harmed other people, those people were exiled or perhaps killed. Under Jesus, the system goes to the next level where the cross changes everything. And here, John is basically talking about the sins that are not forgivable. It sounds like he's telling the church, don't pray for those people who have committed mortal sins, the sins that are leading to death. He's not forbidding it, but he's just kind of saying, yeah, you know, just pray for the sins that are less serious because those people can really be helped. He, he's careful to remind us that all wrongdoing is sin, but he's differentiating between the two kinds, the one that really leads to death and the ones that don't. Now, this is the part where we're kind of scratching our heads and asking what's happening here. I don't have an answer, but, but this did remind me of a few other scriptures. Like in Luke 10, when Jesus says that those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit aren't going to be forgiven. Or in First Timothy, where Paul says that in later times that uh, believers are going to abandon the faith because they're going to be taught by teachers who don't have a conscience because their conscience has been seared with a hot iron. We think about Romans 1, where Paul says that people stopped glorifying God and that their hearts became darkened and he just gave them up to the lusts that they wanted to pursue. Maybe John had in his mind those who were bent on not just denying Jesus, but actively betraying and killing him. So then we stop and we think, well, the one who's denying the Holy Spirit, the one whose conscience has become numb and unfeeling, the one who's walked away from God just to live for themselves, the one who, the ones who act in concert to silence God, So John is telling the church to focus their prayer on on people who are in a place where their prayers might affect change. But for those who are too far gone, for those whose sins are so bad, he's not necessarily recommending that we spend our time doing that. Part of this we understand. The loved ones of those who are lost in addiction sometimes have to get to a place where They walk away. They can't do any more. But even in those cases, prayers are so fervently offered. So while this is murky, let's keep our focus on the value being given here that we should be praying for people in our lives who are far from the Lord. That intercession is an act of love because it takes time and intention to lift others up. Our hands are on the steering wheel, not just so we can navigate our vehicle to the places where God wants us to go personally. It's so that we can go in compassion to where people in our lives are hurting. So that we can direct ourselves to go where people could use the love of Jesus. We can keep on driving and going and doing what we want. Or we can pull off to the side of the road and say, Lord, Where, who needs your healing? Open, open eyes, God. Who needs your protection? To whom can I make truth more understandable? Lord, give, who needs your strength? Who needs to let go of what is binding them to this world? Holy Spirit, show me, show me, God, how to pray. Because there is no sin that we commit that God cannot forgive. And maybe it's not just the sin that is not pardonable. Maybe it's that for a time there is no pardon being asked. So, how is it that we continue having the stamina and the heart to keep praying for those in our lives who do not know God or who have walked away with no intention of coming back? Here, another quote from Corey Tamboom is appropriate. The wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something and enter God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. There are people in our lives that we thought at one time were so far gone, and yet one day they turned around Just yesterday, when I was at Evan's service, somebody told me a story of a person in their life who was so out of control and nothing made any change for years. And then one of their kids got married. And this person made sure that his friend got to the wedding. And the wedding sermon struck a chord. And the man decided then and there, I don't want to do this anymore. I really want what God wants for me that day. So we don't give up hope. We keep praying. We keep praying for those, maybe even who make us mad in the things that they do. Because God is the one who knows hearts. God is the one who knows the future. So as we seek him, we are joining him in his work of intercession for those who are far from home. We trust that God, that people will understand his grace and mercy. The pictures that Corey Timboom give us in prayer are very helpful. I think prayer is a steering wheel. Prayers are the wings of a bird. Prayers are the sails on a ship. In other words, prayer takes us places we never would have gone otherwise. That is so true, and I want us to hold on to that as we go. John reminds us that we should pray boldly, that our requests are heard and answered according to God's will. He exhorts us to pray for those who are lost and far from him. So let us be inspired from this passage to keep our connection with God strong as we are daily led in prayer. And let us be faithful to where the Lord takes us and those that we pray for that he would take us to places we have never been or seen before. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.